We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You are listening to KC Sports Network, the number one podcast network for today's Kansas City sports fans. With former players from your favorite teams, informed perspectives, and former insiders, this is the place for you. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts or on our YouTube channel, all over social media, or our morning newsletter, KCSN Daily, dedicated to your Kansas City Chiefs. KC Sports Network is proudly presented by Emprise Bank, your partner in Possible. What's up, y'all? This is One Royal Way here on Kansas City Sports Network. Thank y'all so much for joining me for this episode today. And joining me to talk about the Royals on this episode is Marcus Mead. He hosts the Royals Weekly Podcast and has done some stuff for us over at Royals Farm Report in the past as well. Still dabbles in some writing for us uh, currently as well. How's it going, man? It's going pretty good. I mean, I'm living a decent life, but the Royals are not helping in any way. So, you know, that, that is what it is. It is tough sledding trying to make content for the worst team in baseball right now. <laughs> I wonder sometimes what it's like to try and make contact with the best team in baseball. Like, what are you, are you just spoiled for riches? Do you just have all day to talk about whatever you want? I don't get it. Like, I I, I listen. I I dabble and listen to national baseball stuff for the mo, you know for the most part outside of doing this and uh, over at John Boy Media, Jerry Blevins and Jolly Olive doing the Shea Station podcast. They're just loving life right now, talking about the Mets. I'm like, or the or the the talking Yanks guys talking about that. I'm like, man, what would that be like? What's that what like the- to? N- not have to talk about a team that's 16 and 33 as it what, sits today. What the Mets go like six and zero on their recent homestand? I think they were undefeated. Like that. <laughs> yeah, I think they're. Yeah, I we'll think get they there one day. The, the best them. record or close to the best record in baseball with the other team in New York. So, is what it is. It's all right to like baseball in New York these days. <sighs> no kidding. Well. If nothing else, we're not going to sit and be not going to air the grievances the way that the Royals Farm Report show did the other day. That That is its own separate show. We don't need to do that twice in one week. Before we get into uh, today's episode, it's always brought to you by Kansas City Strength and Conditioning. Let's hear a quick word from the... From the beginning, we knew right away that we wanted to do strength conditioning and a throwing program for the baseball and softball community. It wasn't something we were trying to back into or all of a sudden learn. We knew we were really good at these coaching these skills 
from the get-go and the fact that we're in the same business and the employees are all on the same page you know we can write a program based off of what a kid needs not just getting him stronger or faster from a general sense it's what does this kid need on the pitching end we can say hey this kid needs such and such he needs to do this or that better a lot of times it turns out it's not something that needs to be fixed in the baseball cage or on the throwing mound it actually needs to be fixed in the weight room Thank you, as always, to Kansas City Strength and Conditioning for sponsoring this show. Be sure to go check them out if you have a baseball or softball player in the area that needs a place to train. Marcus, so I want to start here, and this is probably the most pessimistic I think we'll be on this episode, but you had a tweet earlier this week that kind of rung true with at least where I feel about where this season has gone, and I think we're kind of in lockstep with how we feel. Like, I didn't generally have super high expectations for this season. I thought there could be steps forward, but I didn't think they were going to be like hovering around 500 or competing for that third wild card spot, something like that. I think 75 to 77 wins was kind of where I was sitting. And at this rate, it doesn't look like they're going to get close. I think they're pacing for 108 losses right now. I don't think they end up losing 100 games, but if they really do, then we're in a world of hurt uh, for what the future of this organization looks like. But the, I mean, obviously, Royals Twitter and social media and people are rightfully frustrated with the product mm-hmm. on the field right now. They're, I th- I didn't think the Royals were going to be good, but I didn't think they were going to be worse team in baseball bad. Like, worse than teams that are not trying to win. You know, you're worse than the Cincinnati Reds. You're worse than the Oakland A's. You're worse than the Pittsburgh Pirates. You're worse than the Baltimore Orioles. Teams that you should be better than at this point in what you consider to be what this is what year five of this yeah, rebuild think, yeah. that they want to say is a rebuild, but it hasn't been at all. They've tried to to wade in the water of trying to compete and rebuild, which you just can't do as a small market team. They should have just completely torn it down, but they decided not to. Do you think? Do you think expectations were too high? I mean, I actually. Year? No, I don't think they were too high because you look at last year, 74 and, and 88, and they were telling us that they were wanting to compete this year. 74 and 88 made a lot of sense for last year because of the composition of this roster and, and all those sorts of things. And then you look at the composition of the roster they currently have, and I say to myself, who are these players? And I don't just mean the roster, like the 40 man roster or the roster in the major leagues. I'm talking, look at the talent up and down the organization, including the ones we think are ready to compete in major league baseball. Should this team be better than it is? Should our, were, were they in line with our expectations? And I say, yes, my, my, my win prediction for the year was 79 and 83. I think you could put a collection of players together at the major league level on this team right now that could win you 79 games. I think it would have to be with a different coaching staff. I think it would have to be with a different you know, front office that's willing to deploy that talent differently because obviously some of it is in AAA right now. But I honestly think that if you had put this collection of talent with the Dodgers or the Rays or something like that, this team does play around 500 with the talent level and the experience level that they're at right now. The problem is they have this talent that just hasn't been deployed in such a way that was meant to maximize the number of wins that they would get this year. You don't play Carlos Santana. You don't play Ryan O'Hearn. You don't play these sorts of guys if you're trying to win as many games as possible. And yet for some reason they said they were trying to win as many games as possible and they still made those moves. Other teams don't make those moves. Other teams don't let Guys like Nicky Lopez and Whit Merrifield play every single day, no matter what, when they're having the, 
worst years of their careers offensively. And so these are just sort of things that if they existed in the Rays organization or the Cards organization or the Dodgers or the Giants, you wouldn't see happening. You also wouldn't see Whit Merrifield and Nicky Lopez and things like that struggling for the extensive period of time that they do, or the pitching struggling for the extensive periods of time that it does. You know, it, it's all these sorts of things that I think we were right to sort of think, okay, this is what they could be, you know, high seventies wins competing for 500 anyway. But unfortunately we got a whole bunch of really bad circumstances. I put out another tweet today that was like, uh, Andrew Benintendi is one offensive player. They have having the season of his career offensively. They have three having the worst seasons of their career offensively. That is a recipe for losing. And then they have Nicky Lopez, who's having the worst year of most people's career offensively. And so, you know, it's it's not like it's not like they're they sort of they bad lucked into some career worst performances, but they also just aren't managed well enough as an organizational talent pool to maximize the number of wins that they would get. I think that's the biggest thing is that right now we're seeing a coaching staff that cannot maximize the guys in the room right now, if they really wanted to run it back with is there, they're essentially running it back with the roster they had last year, add in Bobby Witt and MJ Melendez. Well, you mentioned earlier that, you know, sometimes you, you can't have a foot in both camps. You can't try to compete and rebuild at the same time. Well, the truth is if you're a good enough team, small market team, like the Rays, you actually can, you just right. have to have top notch player development, top notch scouting and top notch coaching. They don't have, at least top-notch player development and top-notch coaching. The scouting we can quibble about, they are pretty respected across baseball for their scouting. And Dayton Moore is known as like a great scout and a great collector of talent. And we can point to big scouting wins for them, right? Salvador Perez is a big scouting win. Even Vinny Pasquantino is a huge scouting win to get a guy like him so deep in the draft. But player development and coaching, you cannot, you cannot deny it. You cannot, there is no quibbling. There is no debate over the fact that this team does not, do either of those very well and certainly not well enough for a small market team to try to compete and rebuild at the same time. Certainly feels like they've got the player development at the minor league level, at least at a point yeah. where you can, you can get some talent there. Right. But it's the talent. It's the player development at the major league level that is severely lacking. And that's why we're seeing a 16 and 33 team right now that should not be 16 and 33. And it is that that is on that. And that lays at the feet of JJ Piccolo, Dayton Moore, and Mike Matheny, Cal Aldred, and then prior to Alex Zumwalt, Terry Bradshaw. Like it yeah, falls on at all of their feet. Like blame should be laid across all of them, not more than the other, right? So yeah, I think that that's makes total a, sense. And so that's a lot. That's what we're seeing. And that's why I don't know. I don't think you can run it back with this coaching staff next year. If you do, then you're really telling everybody we are not trying to win. I think it's as I, simple as that. And I think if you get to the All Star break, and certain coaches are still on the coaching staff. You're still trying to say, yeah, we're we're punting to 25 and hoping that maybe then we can we can get things rolling. Then I think yeah, it, that's where that's how it feels to me at least. I think you're on the money, but I'm, I'm my timeline's even shorter. I don't think you can go past next week with uh, you know some of the people on this coaching yes. staff just because every day you win. And that's the thing when when somebody ask, if somebody were to ask me like you know why can't the Royals win or what's their biggest issue or something like that. It's not necessarily that they don't know what to do. It's the slow, the pace at which they do it. Bingo. They move so slowly and they think that like, oh, our conservative mindset is actually a virtue. It's not. They don't understand the opportunity cost of what they're losing all the time. Not trading Santana last year at the halfway mark, not trading with Maryfield two or three years ago. You know, all these things, not making moves is actually just as dangerous as making moves. They just don't realize that. And so not changing a coach is just as dangerous as changing a coach, right? And so 
the fact that they're not trading Cal Eldred or they're not getting rid of Cal Eldred or some others means that they're wasting opportunities for development of the pitchers that are currently on their roster. And so, bam, a year of Bobby Witt Jr. will be gone after 2022. Another year of Brady Zinger will be gone after 2022 and Daniel Lynch and all these other guys. The fact is you're wasting their service time. You're wasting their time here in Kansas City, letting them languish and not become the best that they could possibly be. And you would think that, and I know football and baseball are very different. Uh, player development, scouting, all of it. But we watch the general manager of the Kansas City Chiefs make aggressive corrections every offseason to make the team as good as possible every single year. That's completely overhauling the defense and getting the free agents in there to change the culture. It was completely overhauling the offensive line after the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. It was bringing in new, young, control cost-control rookies to completely change the culture of the defense again. Over and over, we see Brett Veach make aggressive corrections to what the te- what was lacking in the team the, the previous season to make them better the next year. And we see, you mentioned the, the slowness and the, con- the conservatism to make these changes, and that's why the Royals are having the struggles they are right now. You have to be aggressive in any line of work in the business of sports. And I understand, and I think, the and Alex and I have talked about this before, the Royals do so many things well. It's the little things that they do wrong that are the most detrimental at this point. I understand treating your people well. I understand instilling a culture that they have. Like, I, I get it. But at a certain point, you have to have a business mindset to win and to have be aggressive to win games because fans aren't going to sit around for another 30 years and, and let this happen. They're just not. They had that taste of it, and it's not it's not going to go away. People will like attendance is going to plummet if by next week we're still watching the same roster. I think it's that easy. I will be very curious to see what attendance is going to be like on this ten game homestand coming up. Oh yeah, I think that's going to be a big indicator for them. I think they're going to be very curious to yes. see what attendance is like on this ten game homestand. And you're absolutely right. And when I think about the slowness. And I, I don't like it when people are like, Dayton Moore can't do anything because that's just not true. He does right. certain things well. It, I mean, that that is undeniably true. You don't have a an organization with this much talent in it if he doesn't do some things well. The, the problem is the things he doesn't do well are very big picture things. Like right. he doesn't put the right people in place to manage certain things in the organization, right? He didn't have the right people in place at the top end of the hitting and pitching spectrum for a really, or pitching developments for a really long time. And it's like, yes, now the hitting is better. Yes. The pitching looks a little bit better in the minor leagues and is maybe getting, you know, we'll see what happens at the major leagues, but these are decisions that could have been made much, much sooner. There's actually this great book. I like to bring up when people talk about management and these sorts of things. It's a book called the generals and, it's by a writer named Thomas Ricks. It's about military leadership from uh, World War II to today. And the idea was that they're praising these types of generals in the military who would actually move on very quickly from people they realized were not capable of doing the job that they needed to do because the stakes were so high, right? Like people's lives are on the line, that sort of thing. And what you end up finding is that if you move on quickly from guys who clearly can't do the job, a couple of things happen. One, you very quickly get to the right guy for the job. You very quickly get to the person who is going to do well in that situation. And the other thing happens is the people who get moved around or demoted or whatever or fired, they end up learning from that and they end up finding other jobs elsewhere or other that you move them into other positions and they do better, right? It's not like that will we fire Cal Eldred? He's doomed for eternity. No, the guy is going to be fine. Right? Like yeah, he, exactly. learned from the, he learned from this experience. He's already a millionaire, but he learned from this experience. He's going to go out and he's going to find other work elsewhere. And if he's good at learning, he will do a much better job in his next appointment or post. But 
I just think it's important that we have this mentality that results matter more than anything. Alex talks often about loyalty to the other players uh, on the team as exactly. questioning like the loyalty to players and things like that. I always think of it in terms of loyalty to the fan base. That is your number one loyalty. They pay everyone's salary. They make the team exist. And without that, you're, you're in trouble. Right. And they're going to find that out maybe on this 10 game homestand. So be loyal to the fans, make decisions that are in the best interest of winning. That's what everybody needs to be loyal to in the professional ranks. You're, you're absolutely right. And I, I don't want to dwell on this for too long because we could sound like a broken record over well, the next four months talking about this sort of topic in various stages. So I'll, I'll move on from that. But I think that was a good jumping off point for the show. But I want to try and be as positive as I possibly can and understand this. Like, I'm not trying to sunshine pump for this team there's no reason to but at a certain point it's such a long season like there's no reason for me to sit here and be a broken record for four months talking about how awful everything is it doesn't do me any good it doesn't do you guys any good so i'm not going to do that i do want to talk a little bit about the the really the bright spot on this team right now has been the young guys in very for various reasons i think bobby i know his last couple of games the cleveland series he didn't do great the minnesota series prior to that Back-to-back three-hit games. He looked as locked in as I've seen him in those games. So I think he he's coming around nicely. I, I think there is a little bit of pressure on him right now, putting him in the three-hole. You can Someone posted the stat today, and I wish I could see it. Uh, I wish I could say who it was, but I don't remember it off the top of my head, of Bobby in games the Royals have won versus games they've lost. Uh, he's hitting 300, over 300 uh, with a – Wade runs created plus around like 140 in games they've won and hitting below 200 with like a 70 in games they've lost. But that's also just some of being a young player in baseball. But I think he, but he's, and he's still playing lights out defense, moving over to his natural position at shortstop too. So there's a lot to like with what I've seen from him still. Yeah, I think there's a lot to like if you look at the bigger picture. And that's what's interesting. I, I went on uh, that, that um, airing of grievances with Alex the other day. And I thought to my, and I sort of, felt weird stepping into that moment and talking about things that are sort of more positive. But I look at this team often with such a big picture lens that it's too, it's hard for me to like hang on any one loss or anything because I'm seeing all these positive markers out there with the team. Bobby Witt Jr. is a positive marker. MJ Melendez is a positive marker. Don't forget that these guys could come up and be struggling a lot more than they are. In other, in other organizations, some guys are having a terrible time making this transition from AAA to the majors. Bobby Witt Jr. Looks like he's handling it fairly well, making big strides all the time. MJ Melendez looks super comfortable uh, in major league baseball right now he's doing great you know emmanuel rivera we get this big surprise comes out and is playing better than anybody expected him to play at third base looks like he can be a real and nothing else a bench piece for the royals moving forward you know there are a lot of real positives if you're looking at the markers of who are the group of guys who are going to be on the next competitive royals team never i never expected Carlos Santana to be on the next <laughs> competitive right. Royals team. I really didn't expect Whit Merrifield to be on the next competitive Royals team, honestly, because he, I thought he should have been traded two or three years ago. Bingo. So, you know, and we knew he'd be in decline at this point. He's 33 years old or something like that. And so look at the guys who we are going to be counting on to win us the next, or to put us at least in the next playoff race. They're all the ones carrying the team right now. They're playing well. And then we have guys like Vinny Pasquantino and Nick Prado excelling so much in AAA, you have to be actually sort of point to the guys. If you would have said before, create a roster of guys before the season who you think are going to be here for the next competitive Royals team. If I looked at that roster's fan graphs page, 
it would look incredible, honestly. Like it would look right. really, really good. It wouldn't be a full team because they still have some holes to plug before they get to that point. We've got to see if Michael Massey will come up, we'll see what Edward Olivares is when he gets a little bit more playing time and that sort of thing. But ultimately I, I'm looking at for pieces. I'm all I'm looking for is pieces. And if I look around the Royals right now, I actually see a lot of really viable pieces for the future. Oh, by far. And I, I'm so impressed with MJ, man. He just, he just acts like he's a pro's pro. He he really is. And he puts together the best at bats on the team. He's not overextending. He's not striking out as near as much as I thought he would. I think it's still right around 20, 22%, which is perfectly manageable for a, for a guy like him that can get to his power, still work a lot of counts. He's walking right around 10%, 11%, which is good and Perfectly fine for me, and I think that'll continue to go up as he gets more comfortable. Emmanuel Rivera is a great guy. I didn't even really think about him when I put together the rundown. Someone mentioned him yesterday. I mean, he had an absolute tank the other night, and I don't know what his long-term prospects are, but if nothing else, the fact that you can put that guy on your bench and send him out there at third base against lefties, at the very least, they're in a pinch. You can play him every day like the Royals have right now. I, I couldn't be more impressed with what I've seen from him. Now, granted, my expectations for him were very low, but he's exceeding whatever expectations I did have. So he deserves a lot of credit for for coming in and just doing the job. And I that and at that point, you know, he's not a black hole in the lineup, which there are certainly plenty that we have seen so far this year, and he's not one of them. Kyle Isbell's coming off the injured list. I don't know if it was considered the COVID IL or what, but he he whenever he gets back to 100%, He's going to be just fine. Once he started to get everyday run in the lineup, he was really good. Uh, prior to that IL stint, he's hitting the ball as hard as anybody. He's playing a great right field. You can stick him in center in a pinch. He's not great out there, but you can do it. Uh, certainly a guy that can fill in in that 6-7 spot in the lineup and be really effective. Now, and then to the pitching side, Brady Singer is a completely different guy completely different. It's amazing what a third pitch does for him, but he looks more confident than I've ever seen him out there. Normally when he gets a couple of those, he doesn't induce a ton of hard contact. It's a, normally a lot of like weak stuff. And we saw some of that against the twins, but when he had guys on or, you know, a couple of those dink and dunk hits strung together, normally it just completely unravels for him. And that's when the outing goes to shit. Basically he didn't allow that to affect him. And he was able to get out of those innings clean. And I don't think you can ask for much more than that from him. The kind of, the, I think it's a lot of the between the ears stuff for him that is starting to clean up as well as incorporating that change up a little more. He's punching guys out. I mean, it, and it's, it's awesome. He's becoming the pitcher that I think we all expected him to be. It took a little bit of time, but it, it takes a lot of time. It takes time for some guys. And, He's, it seems like he's really coming to, into his own and certainly becoming the guy that we all like, think he can be in Kansas City. Yeah, and the weird and optimistic thing for me is we haven't even seen the best version of that changeup because I Absolutely. saw it once in AAA. I saw a game in AAA where that changeup looked like a major league average changeup and he was untouchable, untouchable mm -hmm. in that game. It was incredible. It was like, when I saw that, I'm like, oh, this could be a consistently mid three RA pitcher in the major leagues, no problem. Because if he can throw that change up, that the, it's a whole different ball game for him. Oh, yeah. Right now, he's using it strategically, I think, and that's the smart way to use it right now because it's not consistently a fifty grade pitch. But he's getting that weak contact. He's giving guys different looks, and it's making his fastball and slider more effective, which is great. But 
If it takes that next step, if it becomes consistently a 50 grade pitch, then you have a front end starter, maybe out of Brady Singer. And if he cleans up that stuff you were talking about between the ears, the sort of situational imploding that he has done in the past, where he's just, you know, a much more calm and, and, and cool pitcher out there. I think you're talking about a guy who with, uh, with the type of potential that we all thought he would have uh, moving forward. And it's going to be present. Now you can't blame him entirely for the fact that they were unable to teach him or encourage him to throw that change right. up in the minor leagues for the fact that they, that that's what will always get me is like, how do you promote a guy to be a starter when he only has two pitches? Like, how do you do that? Like, yeah, they did it. And a lot of people were like, Hey, yeah, great. He's effective. Yeah. Great. And yeah, I mean, maybe, but we should have always all known, like this wasn't going to last and this wasn't going to work out until he, because he's not Randy Johnson. They're good pitches. The fastball and and slider are good pitches. They're not Randy Johnson's fastball and slider. So they're not going to, they're not, you're not going to have be a two pitch starter. It's just not going to happen. And so, but it's so great to see him, turn that corner, develop, have that change up with him. And it's just a fun watch. Now he's really fun to watch as a pitcher. The rest of the rotation looks like it's rounding out a little bit too. I'm, I'm really liking your boy. Heasley. He is mm-hmm. like Mike. It's a good thing you don't have Mike on this podcast right now because he, he's my co-host my, and brother. For those of you who don't know, he would just be talking your ear off about John Heasley because he's like his favorite pitcher on earth at this point. And so I love what he's doing. I put out some t- a tweet thread about him today. His curveball is among the best in baseball. Yep. Uh, people don't know that. it's among the best. His fastball is among the best in baseball. If you look at like movement metrics and things like that, his fastball is among the best in baseball. And so it's one of those things where when he develops enough confidence in his stuff to live more in the zone, he is going to look very much like a solid back end guy that we've kind of wanted guy who keeps a guy, us in ball games all the time. It's going to be great. I'm excited and, for John. Heasley. He's still keeping the Royals in games, despite yeah. the walk numbers that he hasn't shown in the minor leagues at all. And I think some of that is just like you talked about the comfortability, the nerves of he's only made like what five big league starts, five, six. I think he's going to be just fine. And obviously he's, he's my dude and I love the guy. And I know, I think the world of him and I know that he's going to be a, if nothing else, a really good reliever in the big leagues. And I think he's shown that from when he was at Oklahoma state, that that's at least his floor. And if that's your floor, then shoot, you're going to be just fine in the big leagues. You can make a really nice career out of that. And he's yeah, showing, think, at least right now, that I think he can stick in the rotation. He's showing more than I ever thought he did, he could, certainly. Oh, yeah, I think he's definitely capable of sticking in the rotation. I also think that he he is showing us, and Singer is showing us as well, and maybe the org should take this to heart as a philosophy, the advantages to throwing more pitches. The more pitches you throw, the better. As long as they're quality enough to be in the major leagues, the more pitches you throw, the better. Heasley probably has four league average pitches on most days. I'd say occasionally his fastball and curveball get up to what I would call 55 grade pitches. Yep. But, and sometimes it's changeup. I saw some nasty changeups in AAA. I don't think we've seen that changeup yet from him in the major leagues, but his curveball and fastball can get pretty good. But what you see from him is variety. And that variety is what's keeping hitters off balance. Same with Brady Singer. It's the variety that's keeping hitters off balance. If I were the Royals, I'd be teaching any pitcher who looks like he can pitch, who can throw a pitch to throw that pitch. You would be working to develop as many as you possibly could, especially into different quadrants. And so I want a guy who can throw a slider and a changeup to go down and in and down and away and that sort of thing. I want multiple quadrants. I want as much movement from guys who can spin as possible because this notion that like, and and I'm talking about relievers too. I've I've had a conversation with Mike about this notion that the two pitch reliever is also very risky in some ways, unless those both of those pitchers are dominant because if they're not, they're going to eliminate your worst pitch on a day and just sit on whatever is not great. 
And so I would love to see a philosophy, them take this these lessons to heart that they've learning from guys like Heasley and Singer and develop more pitches to be exceptional or at the very least major league average. Absolutely. And then Daniel Lynch, I know he got roughed up a little bit on uh, I think it was Tuesday night. I'm still like I'm not worried about him at all. I think he's flashed enough a good potential that he's going to be just fine. Generally, how I feel about all of these young pitchers that I'm not going to be out on any of them until there is a coaching change at that specific role. And then if they're still not becoming the guys that we think we are, then I can make that decision. But I'm not making that decision until Cal Alderit is disposed of as the pitching coach. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. How else are we going to know what their actual potential exactly. is? Like, exactly. until, they, until they get with somebody who has a proven track record of helping guys reach their potential, we really won't know what that crop of pitchers is. And honestly, there are more coming. I mean, Jackson Kowar is going to come back. Chris Bubish is going to come back. I'm really excited about Drew Parrish and what he's doing in, in Northwest Arkansas. You know, there are guys coming who are going to be asked to reach their potential as well. And we just, we won't know until they get under a development system that is better at the major league level. Yeah. And I believe I saw it somewhere that I believe Austin Cox was on the taxi squad yeah. for this game in Cleveland. And mm-hmm. they have not announced a starter for Saturday. I believe that would be Zach Grinke's spot. So there could be a scenario where maybe Austin Cox makes his big league debut on Saturday uh, between Singer and Heasley Friday and Sunday. So something something to watch there. I, I don't. I'm not. I, I have no uh, sources on this, but 
just kind of reading the tea leaves a little bit, that could be the case, uh, which I wouldn't hate. I mean, I think Austin Cox is a good pitcher. I think it's another guy from that 2018 class that can turn into something. So, And I don't think Jackson Coar or Chris Bubich have shown enough to come back to the major league rotation quite yet. So give Austin, Austin Cox a shot and see what happens. Yeah, I, I'm not actually the biggest or the highest on Austin Austin Cox, but I would rather he come make a spot start probably than have Kowar come back up before he's ready, have Hernandez or Bubich right. come back up before they're ready. Um, I don't know if the taxi squad means he's going to be there because they're coming back home for this right. Houston series, and so they're going to be right down the road from Omaha. They can, they can grab pretty much anybody they want. But and from Northwest Arkansas, honestly, if they, I, I just to stir up some some stuff, I went ahead and and tweeted out, uh, "Let's bring up Drew Parrish." For this hey, hey, I don't hate that either. He's been <laughs> shoving Dude, for the last month. Watch he's been awesome. Starts. Watch those starts in Double A, and they are a thing of beauty. His last one was probably his worst start of this stretch of good starts he had. He still didn't allow any runs because yeah. he's just he's 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 an unconventional pitcher in some ways because he gives up a lot of fly ball outs, but they don't hit the ball hard on him. They just don't. Nobody does. Doesn't strike out a ton of guys. He just misses barrels all over the place. I would say when he's on, it's a 60 grade changeup and a 60 grade curveball. I love them both. The fastball is not that hard, but he has much better command than say a Carlos Hernandez. So I'm excited to see what he can do moving forward. Um, maybe you throw him up there. It depends on a lot on like what you think of the person's makeup, right? Like could he handle yeah. coming to the majors for one start, getting shelled and then going back to double A or going to triple A? If he could, I might just see what I had and give it a shot. You know, you're, you're 16 and what? 31, 32, 16, what's 33, it 33. What's, right it what's it matter? Let's, let's see what happens. That's kind of where I'm at. I, I love Drew Parrish. I think that's a guy that just knows how to pitch. There is something to just like that. There's something awesome about watching a dude blow 98 by guys with regularity, but there's something to 90 to 92 that you just know how to get, get it by guys and just make it work. So now we're at our weekly segment where uh, we're looking for Vinny Pasquantino on a milk carton here in Kansas City. <laughs> um, I'm going to bring him up on every episode Might until well. he is in the big leagues, I swear to God. That's what the people want. You got to give them what they want. We have started a revolution at Royals Farm Report <laughs> to get this man in the big leagues. It's actually pretty, pretty awesome. Um, but this week, Holmberg in three straight hit a lefty-lefty bomb last night as 15 on the year, 52 RBIs. Is it over 300? OPS is over a thousand people. People know how good he is at this point. Amazing. By the way, it, 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 it simply is amazing. And I had the take earlier before the season started that he was going to get called up before Prado. I still feel good about that. Would you be shy? Okay. I'll, I'll put it this way because I would be shocked if he is called up for the game tomorrow, or I guess on Friday against Houston, what percent chance do you give it that on Friday he is with the big league club? I'd say about 15. It's not nothing. It's not zero. Um, you know, they're feeling the pressure the same as everybody else. I think what hurts the Royals is they come out and they make these statements like they, he, he needs this many plate appearances in double A and high. A, and then that you kind of feel compelled to stick to those numbers. Like you kind of feel compelled to be like, well, now he's got to hit that number before we let him up here. Or what are we a bunch of liars? You know, like, yeah. um, and so, I don't, I don't like that they do that. Like just, just say, oh, no, he's not ready. He needs to work on stuff. You know, it's not true, but you know, at least, at least it's vague. So you can, you at can least get out of it whenever you want. <laughs> if you're going to lie, at least be vague about uh, it. Exactly. And so like I, I put it at 15%. I think we're coming up to July, like it's June 1st today. You know, we have a month left and before people start really turning on the hot stove for the trade deadline, I think. And so 
you know, what's the point of keeping Carlos Santana? I know they're trying to still build up his value. I know this all blah, 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 yada, 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 all that stuff. But I just don't know, man. They, they, they DFA'd Chris Owings after a certain period of time, knowing that they, they had nothing there for him the year that he was having a Santana-like season. I just got to imagine he's got to be gone because those two fates are tied together. It's not like they're bringing up Vinny Pasquantino if Carlos Santana is still on the team. They're not yeah. doing that, at least not for a significant period of time. And so... I give it 15%, 15% that they wise up and drop the pretenses and just do what needs to be done. The optimist in me says about 25% because at a certain point, man, like the, the Royals are following the sunk cost fallacy with Carl Santana. Like we are pay- the, the, we are paying him to be our first baseman is the biggest crock of shit. <laughs> it just, it just is right. Like, at a certain when <laughs> that article that out that Lynn Worthy put out that's the that opposing scouts are looking at the Royals going, why are they putting him in the lineup every day? Oh, yeah. like, why is Carl Santana still here? Like that is embarrassingly bad. Yeah. And I and I don't want to trash Carl Santana because he's had a great career up to this point. You can't really say like when he was Roy- a bad baseball player. And when good. the Royals signed him, I loved it. I was like, yes, this is perfect. Two-year deal. You can get ready for Prado and Pasquantino for 23. Well, at a, at a certain point, you got like Pasquantino is forcing the hand of the Royals. He just is. I don't, I don't want to believe that they really think he's not ready. I, I know that I am not the, I am a random dude with a microphone hmm. and I've done some prospect evaluation in the past and I follow the Royals minor leagues for the last few years, but I don't know what I'm missing. If you think he's not ready, I can, you can sell me on Prado's not ready. You can, Mm -hmm. Uh, he's certainly seeing a lot of pitches. He's walking more now, but he's still striking out a lot. So he's still missing pitches in the zone that he can hammer when he gets his pitch in the zone. He hammers it, but he's got to get there. I don't know what Vinny's missing. He's striking out as much as he's walking. He's hitting the ball for a lot more power. Now he's getting to his power more than he has in the past. It's not like he's doing it with a super happy fun juice ball like the guys were doing last year. What am I missing? No. What, what are we missing at this point? I, I, you're, you're, I don't get it. I don't. It's really, it's really not what you can tell. It's not what you're missing. And it's not what I'm missing. And it's not what the Royals fan base is missing when opposing scouts are also like, he's ready, right? Like it can't be the industry consensus and the fan consensus that this guy's ready. And then we're just the ones who are wrong. That's just, it's just so unlikely when, especially when you talk about how frequently the Royals, misevaluate their own players, you know, that are misvaluate, especially like, um, and so I think, I think they think he's ready too. I don't think that they're like, Oh, he's, he's not ready. Actually. I think they think he's ready. I think it's just, they're trying to do that thing that they often do that sunk cost thing where they can't let that 10 and a half million go. And it's like, guys, it's spent anyway, no matter what happens, that money is spent. You think somebody's taken that 10 and a half million from you on that contract? No, you are dreaming. That is never going to happen. Even if you trade Carlos Santana, which won't happen, by the way, you're going to have to eat a lot of that ten and a half million. About eight of it. Oh yeah, <laughs> about just about at least if you get lucky enough for someone to do that, which they won't do, right? Why? Because he's not Jorge Soler. Because he's five or six years older than Jorge Soler. Because his secondary numbers don't look as good as Jorge Soler's did, even though, and because he's not going to turn it around like Jorge Soler did. Everybody knew Jorge Soler was a streaky hitter. Everybody knew that at some point he would make an adjustment, flip the switch and go gangbusters. And that's what he did. 
And he did. But it was very expected. There was nobody who was like, he forgot how to hit completely. No, yeah. it's just he needed to adjust some things. And then he was going to get streaky hot like he always did. Carlos Santana is 36 years old. This has nothing to do with being a streaky hitter. He's really not a streaky hitter. He's a very patient, very, you know, he controls the zone well. He, he's not the type of dude who streaks. He's the type of dude whose bat has just slowed down, whose ability to make hard contact with the ball has waned. I worried that this would happen before they signed him or when they signed him, but I got half a good season of, of good stuff out of him. And then the bat went. And that was that was a predictable as the sun rising in the morning. I didn't hate the signing because I thought they'd be willing to say, it's 10 and a half million in the second year. Who cares? And it shouldn't matter to them, honestly. It shouldn't. But it shouldn't. It should not matter to them. But for some reason it does, and it's keeping Vinny Pascantino, who is entirely ready, down in AAA. I think he's going to be up at some point this homestand. That would be the, awesome. I, I think he will be. I, I just For fan certain. attendance at the very least, right? If they care a ton about like getting fans reinterested in this team, Bring him up for this series. Like this is a long homestand. Bring him up. You're going to play the Astros. Here. You're going to get your ass kicked. Oh yeah. Just bring him up and let him roll. Yeah, and, and, and maybe he he's a spark and you win a few of these games and fans get excited again. Exactly. It's, it's that easy. I, I've said it for months that the Royals are going to be better when they just decide to go full youth movement. When you get Bobby and Vinny and MJ and Kyle is Nick Prado all in the same lineup. I think the Royals are going to be better off than they are right now. This I is just, why I don't, I, I don't understand when they're like, when people are like, Oh, it's, it's a dichotomy between playing for the future or playing for right now. No, it isn't like those are the same decisions. Playing the young players is better for right now. <laughs> like exactly. It's also better for the future. It just so happens. They're at a point where playing for the future and playing right now, the same actions, they all align perfectly. Like whoosh, it all, it all aligns at firing Cal Eldred bringing up Vinny Prasantino, Nick Prado, you know, do, playing Kyle Isbell more frequently, all these sorts of things. Like it just, mm -hmm. these, all of these things align, whether you want to win now or whether you want to play for the future, they're all, it's all the same moves, Dayton. You're just not making them for some reason. Yeah, exactly. All right. So we got, we got a couple more topics in here before we get into that. We have our segment with Keona Sinks from the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum to talk about what's coming up there over the next few weeks. All right, Keona, so we are getting ever closer to Buck O'Neill's induction in the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. Uh, how has the preparation for that been going? It's going well. Uh, we're going to be announcing a substantial uh, fundraising uh, opportunity that the public can help support the museum um, as we not only celebrate, but obviously raise money uh, for the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. Uh, what a year um, and what, what a primetime opportunity for Kansas City nationally and uh, long overdue, uh, but Buck gets to finally take his rightful place into the National Baseball Hall of Fame. Yeah, I can't wait. I don't, but Bob's speech is going to be an all timer. I, I'm, I cannot wait. If he, if he's the one speaking, which I, I assume that he is, uh, I'm, I'm very excited for what that's gonna, what that's gonna entail. For sure, I think for us, you know, you look back, you reflect 15 years ago, um, and just, you know, obviously would have been great for, for him to be with us to share the news that we just received in December. Um, but definitely, you know, I think for him, his museum and, and being nationally in the spotlight is what he, what he ultimately would want um, and what he would have done in those six. And so, as you mentioned, I mean, so many people outside the museum and including our family and local people here in Kansas city um, is such an exciting time. And then of course we'll end this later this year with the, Kansas City uh, Hall of Fame, Buckle Neal Gala, in support of the museum as well. 
um, in honor of Buck's birthday, which he always used to raise money for the museum. And so just just a lot of different preparations and different nuanced things, but definitely we'll be announcing some exciting plans in terms of how people can support uh, the museum in this in this effort as well. That's awesome. So speaking of the museum, uh, there it sounds like there's a new exhibit coming to the museum for those that uh, haven't been recently. Uh, what do we have going on there? Yeah, B Black Baseball in Living Color. Um, Greg Kreinler, renowned artist, uh, supporter of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. We originally had this exhibit back in 2020. And of course, like everything, the pandemic uh, forced us to close. And so not a lot of people were able to view the exhibit here at the museum inside the Changing Gallery, but we brought it back. Um, it launched, I think, man, uh, back in February, in March-ish. So uh, I, people can come and see it here on display. A lot of different portraits, really cool because Greg really took a lot of the art and a lot of the portraits of Negro League players and really colorized them, which is so difficult to do given back then not a lot of portraits of players were true color. Right. Um, and so he uh, sat down and, I mean, I, I can't even tell you how many of the players that he went back and did a lot of research on uh, and really were able to bring the art to life and the players. And so they're on display here until later this summer. Uh, people have an opportunity to come and visit. It's free, uh, open during regular business hours for the museum. And so we're just grateful uh, and thankful for, for Greg's support. Um, obviously, the work that he does, if you don't know who he is, I would highly encourage people to look him up. Uh, he's a pretty big fish and, and known for uh, painting uh, deceased baseball players, but also paying paying homage to the game uh, with his with his art and his work. So we're it's it's beautiful. Yeah, that's going to be super exciting. If you have not been out to the museum, please definitely go check that out. It's going to be a really cool, really cool exhibit that's on display right now. We still got a couple months until this is coming up. I know that the the team on the field that we're seeing right now with the Royals has obviously not been great, but they are going to be donning the the Kansas City Monarchs jerseys uh, for salute to the Negro Leagues when the Dodgers are in town. I believe it's at the end of August. Uh, how is the the preparation for that? Do we do we know what year the uniforms are? Can you, you, know, can you, can you leak anything? Or I, I, I can't I can't leak ah. anything. Well, well, what I can say is going to be going to be a great season. Hopefully, the Royals. Uh, will bring us a W for that day. Of course, for those who do not know, this has been a celebration and a salute in honor of the Negro Leagues over the past 10 years, I believe, Joel, uh, that they've been wearing a tribute, Kansas City Monarchs, uh, saluting the saluting the Negro Leagues. Um, and then, of course, uh, the worn jerseys for both teams, which we play the Dodgers this year, will be auctioned uh, for people to go and bid. And then those uh, proceeds support the work that we do here at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. But it's always such a fun day. And uh, I know last year uh, was pretty, pretty epic with that walk off in those Kansas City oh, yeah. Monarch uniforms. And so was was very uh, grateful to see that. And uh, now with everything going on with baseball, hopefully we can bring some of that back uh, to, to the to the K uh, to get a win. You can't lose in the Monarchs jersey. It just can't. It just can't happen. It just can't. It, it wouldn't be a good thing. <laughs> no, uh, and it, I think it's so cool too. With this being the 75th anniversary of Jackie Robinson's uh, breaking the color barrier, they're playing the Dodgers. So it's one of those like, how can you not be romantic about baseball sort of moments? Uh, it, do you have a favorite Monarchs jersey that they've worn over the last few years? I think last year's like that style with the red and the kind of the off white. I think is certainly one of my favorites. It's hard. I think last year I have to go back and find it, but they put a social media poll out of the the tributes, you know, the, over the mm -hmm. years of which jerseys and caps. And it's hard because you look at all of them and you're like, man, like these are amazing. But to your point, the the pinstripe red with the white cream from last year's 
uh, it was beautiful, the caps, uh, everything that came together uh, for the tribute. And so I'd be curious to see, given uh, the 75th anniversary uh, of Jackie's uh, breaking of the color barrier um, and how Kansas City obviously played a huge role in that historically with, with his start uh, with, with the Monarchs. And then obviously 47, he goes and, and breaks the color barrier with the Dodgers. And so it'll be pretty cool to see uh, Jackie versus Jackie, essentially. Oh, yeah. Um, but hopefully we can get a W and beat the, beat the Dodgers here in Kansas City. I sure hope so. I, I really hope so. <laughs> I'm going to try and get out to that day. I, I, and I'm glad that it's a little later in the year. When I was in college, I always wanted to go to the game whenever I would come back from, from the semester. But it was always during dead week right before finals. So I, wasn't, I haven't been able to get there when they've worn the Monarch jerseys. I'm going to make an effort to do it this year. I have yeah, to. You have to. You have to come give us some good luck and uh, hopefully we can get a W. Yeah, I'll wear I'll wear my Kansas City Monarchs jersey that I have for the club that's uh, just down the street from me, and hopefully that'll and I'll wear I'll wear my forty two cap, and we'll we'll call it good. <laughs> well, thank you, thank you so much, Kiona. And we'll talk to you here in a couple of weeks. Thanks, Joe. So one of the cooler stories this week uh, when the Royals were in Cleveland, there was a bevy of roster moves i'm not even going to try and get into all of them because it was <laughs> overwhelming and i was looking for a long italian name and it wasn't theirs so i was kind of pissed but of a couple of the uh, gabby gabe spire matt peacock were on the injured list and one of the guys was brought up was jose quas who has spent the last couple of years in the royals organization was the closer on the double a northwest arkansas team last year that won the texas league title if you don't know his story it's, it's incredible. It's one of those how can you not be romantic about baseball sort of stories. He starts off as a shortstop and couldn't hit, just didn't quite make it. So he converts to a pitcher in 2017, gets released in 2018, and goes home and works with, works with his little brother, and he gets a job at FedEx working 14-hour days. On the day when he would get home at 8 o'clock, they, they live in Brooklyn, New York. They would go out to the park right across the street from their house where there's one stoplight or streetlight and they would go and just pitch and throw and do all of these things, trying to get him back. He ends up signing with the Royals. And now he made his big league debut yesterday through a scoreless inning and got his first big league strikeout. How friggin' awesome is that? Like, it's just, it's incredible though. That's why you love this sport is for stories like that. Yeah. Just one of those sort of all timers make a movie kind of things about it. Really. I mean, they basically made a movie about this. It's called the rookie. They made it back in the yep. late nineties, early two thousands, like Great transpose movie, that way. story, except instead of teaching high school and coaching baseball, the guy worked delivering packages. I, I never delivered. I did work, used to work for UPS sorting uh, packages in a, in a hub. Let me tell you, it is not easy. It is awful. And so, so uh, yeah, that's the hard road to Major League Baseball right there. But you have to just love it for him, for his family. Think about, all the, think about what it changes for his family to be able to play in the Major Leagues for any period of time at all, but even ex an extended period of time, hopefully. And honestly, as a pitcher, he's a lot of what you've wanted the Royals to do over the, over the past few years, right? Uh, I think Randy Gisarelli talks often about how they need to supplement their bullpen with guys who look different with guys who throw differently so that they can change things up as they're coming through. So yeah, maybe uh, he's only ever going to pitch one inning at a time, but if it's one lights out inning, totally fine. Right. Like, and you love seeing that sidewinder, you know, fastball from him, that 95 mile an hour heat he put across from down low was pretty impressive on that strikeout. And so love to see him pitch. I've watched him a little bit in AAA. It's just a fun motion to watch. It's fun to watch guys, wonder why they can't hit it when they're done. <laughs> like mm -hmm. it's fun to watch yep. guys take that, that cut. That's like, where, 
how how the ball get through my bat there? Like, you know, it's because that ball's got late rise to it. And he just, the guys are just going to have a ton of trouble hitting it. Righties, especially imagine being a righty trying to hit that fastball slider combo is going to be a nightmare for right. That's that, that sinker that he throws look like it's starting at your front hip, Mm -hmm. like from where he throws that, like, it's not quite submarine, but it's not sidearm. Like it's somewhere in between. And yeah, like that funk is what makes him effective. And to be able to hone that in and learn how to pitch, I think is that's the craziest part of it is that he didn't just, he just started doing that. I'm sure it was messing around one day trying to learn how to pitch and he just did it and it worked. And then you just, you just go from there. And I hope that he sticks because I think he has a, and I think he has a chance to, it's not like it's, Sergio Romo throwing up like little, you know, slider after slider after slider with no fastball. It's 95 to 97 with sink into righties with, if you haven't seen his slider, I mean, he just makes guys look foolish with it, especially when it's going into lefties. And I didn't know a lot about him last year, even to be honest, when he was, he went between high A and double A, I believe. And he was at, in double A at the end of the year and he was the closer. And over at Royals Farm Report at our, our previous site, we where we were hosting our podcast, we had on Nicholas Batters, who's the play-by-play guy in Northwest Arkansas, and Vinny. And they both said, Hey, don't you can't talk about this team without talking about Jose Quas. He was absolutely lights out for us at the end of that year. He was amazing. Like he need, he deserves all the credit in the world. And at that point, I was like, Oh, okay. Got some run in spring training, goes to triple A, and you're seeing him put up some numbers. And it's like, oh, I, this dude, if he I hope he gets his chance. He was the guy that I was hoping would get called up at some point. I didn't know the full story, but now that I do, I'm rooting for him even harder, and I hope he stays around as long as possible. Yeah, read this. Read the profile Alec Lewis did of him in the Athletic earlier in the year. It was like during spring training or or right at the start of the season. Uh, Alec Lewis did an excellent profile. One thing that Alex is really great at is getting to stories that are different in some way. And so, and he really touched the root of that story. I love it. Um, but he mentioned, I think that he was an infielder. I think before yeah, he, he was a short a pitcher he was and that, that sidearm motion was one that he would routinely do as part of, you know, infielders sometimes throw a sidearm for different reasons. They just, it's yeah. a more natural throwing motion for some of them. Some of them there, it's a part of the turning double plays and things like that. And so that's where he went as a pitcher because they thought like, okay, this is going to make me different, you know, like, and it really did. It really worked out. You have to applaud not only him, but his brother who helped him put in that time. And I'm sure he'll thank his brother in multiple ways. Um, but kudos to both of them for finding a second life in baseball. Cause I bet it was dark on some of those days at FedEx when you thought, oh, like, yeah. I bet that was real dark. But you know what? You fight through it, you make it to the major leagues. I can't imagine. So one, one last baseball topic, and then we'll get out of here. What would you consider a successful season at this point for the Royals? So I think the season's lost. I hate saying that on June 1st, no, but that's when you're, se- <laughs> you're, you're, se- you're 17 games below 500 at this point, unless they go on some miraculous run, which I don't foresee, we're looking at probably a top five pick. We're looking dangerously close to 100 losses. What do you consider successful at this point? Well, I'm going to measure success not at all in terms of the wins and losses of the major league team. Like that just doesn't even, I would never even start thinking about that at this point. I wouldn't have done that even before the start season started because if they had managed to like scrape together 78 wins on the back of career years from like, Carlos Santana and Whit Maryville and stuff like that. I wouldn't feel better about the team or anything like that. So to me, a successful year looks like a few things. One, young guys staying healthy. That's sort of number one for me. Young guys staying relatively healthy throughout the year. And then two, steps forward from all of them, right? So 
by that measure, they're all doing really great so far. I'm very happy with how the season is going by that measure. I want to see Vinny Pascantino in the, in the major leagues before too long. I want to see what he does for the rest of the season. I'll be, I'll be sort of planning that. But when the end of the year gets here, I'm going to look at their 40 man roster and I'm going to say, can I find 26 guys on here who can put together a 500 season next year? Uh, if, if I can say yes to that, I'm calling it a, a successful season. Maybe I can't say find all 26. Maybe there's a pitcher or two that needs to be added. Maybe there's a, uh, a position player or that needs to be added somewhere. But I think if I can look on there and find a decent number of guys, 24 to 26, who look like they can be a 500 or competitive baseball team, I'm happy with how the season turned out. I think we're pretty much in lockstep there. I, I think it's going to be whenever they decide to just go full youth movement, which I think will come at some point when they decide to cut bait with players that are not big league caliber, whether that's veteran or middling guy that's been around for a little bit. And you can exactly think of who I'm inferring when it comes to that. Um, I think they're going to be a lot better and it's going to be just getting those guys experience is really how I'm measuring success at this point. I I can't look at it any other way. They, if they lose 102 games, God, God forbid, but they are getting Bobby, MJ, Nick, Vinny, and Kyle, and maybe Edward Olivares in there right with regularity. Not going to expect every day, but with regularity, then I'll at least feel a little bit better going into 23, knowing those guys have at least gotten their feet wet. MJ and Bobby have essentially cut their teeth for a full big league season. You're heading into another full season for Lynch and Coar and Bubich and Singer with Brad Keller and maybe Zach Greinke still in the mix and some others that maybe get their chance, like a Drew Parrish and Austin Cox, John Heasley, Carlos Hernandez. You know, I think you'll feel a little better going into next year that I don't think they're going to compete like we all thought they might in 23 with the way the season has fallen, but you at least feel a little better about the cohesion of all of these young guys now coming together to start that next movement next year. It's, it's certainly a year behind now. But if we can start at least head in that direction, there's at least a direction. And I think that's what I want. I think that's the the crux of what I'm trying to get to is there is a direction for where this team is heading. I think, I think there is one. I think you can see it now. It's just, we're moving so slowly in that direction. You know, we, we, as a fan base are ready for that to speed up considerably so that we can see the type of exciting baseball that's going to ultimately win us games eventually, hopefully. Right. And I'm telling you, like, I know fans, if you're listening to this show, you're probably a diehard. You're probably somebody who's really into the Royals and you're not going to stop watching them. Don't. And here's why. Eventually when all this stuff ends up happening, they are going to start winning some games it's going to get exciting at different stretches throughout yep. this year. It's going to. When we see Kyle Isbell and Edward Olivares in an outfield together, when we see Vinny Pascantino and Nick Prado and MJ Melendez all in a lineup together with Salvador Perez and things like that, and Brady Singer's on the mound pitching that day, and you know whatever, and Dylan Coleman is coming out of the bullpen and these sorts of things, that's going to be an exciting game to watch. Yep. And those stretches of seeing that lineup are going to be exciting. Are they going to win all those games? Of course not. They're still young. They're still adjusting. But that's the type of baseball that I want to see. And I think it's going to be exciting for the time moving forward after they do make the, after they make the changes that everybody sort of wants them to make. Yeah, I hope that's coming soon because it's going to make this podcast a hell of a lot more interesting and I don't have to dive. I don't have to do a deep dive for content or deep dive for positivity. I can at least yeah. go there. Mar- Marcus, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Before we get out of here, do you have any final thoughts? And this could be anything. It doesn't have to be baseball related. It doesn't have to be whatever. 
what do you got? Any final thoughts? Yes, I do. So I'm about to go to New Orleans uh, on Friday. <laughs> so w- one of the things that I want to mention, I'm trying to get everything done for work in order to like make it okay for me to go to go on right. vacation for a week and a half. You know, um, as I was running around constantly today, I thought to myself, man, you haven't had a day off since you started this job back in July. Right. And I just want to stress the importance of like doing what is necessary to take care of your mind. I know you're big into promoting the importance of mental health, Joel, and I love hearing that from everybody. People do what is important to protecting your own ability to be happy and find joy on a given day. I'm going to New Orleans. That's going to give me some joy, right? Uh, But I also decided that I'm taking tomorrow off too before I leave to pack and make everything perfect. I'm going to go hang out with my brother and my nephew. that's it's just uh, I'm not a, a wise person by any stretch of the imagination, but I've been working long enough now uh, to know that like uh, we can let those sorts of things, the daily grinds of work, the daily grinds of watching a baseball team that loses way too frequently. We can let those things sort of weigh on us a little bit. And it's like find those things that help you um, get out of that funk. Find those things that pull you back together. For me, it's playing FIFA or playing Zelda and like zonking for a minute or laying down and, you know, just breathing deeply. Um, but I just hope that uh, listening to your podcast and things like that, that's what I do when I play FIFA. I turn the sound off and I listen to podcasts. And so yeah. if it's listening to this podcast, I hope it brings you a little bit of joy. I hope it lightens the load on you from, from your daily work habits. Because that's to me the reason I started a podcast. So that when people are commuting or at work or doing the shit that they don't want to do, maybe things get a little easier for them. Yeah. So mine's going to be along the same vein of like mental health and stuff. And it's June 1st now. Mental Health Awareness Month was in May, but the conversation doesn't end. Uh, and as you can see the shirt, if you're watching on YouTube, I'll, I'll move my camera down just a little bit. Uh, the shirt, this is strength. Isn't always physical. This is from the New York Giants, or from the New York giants, the San Francisco giants. Uh, this is the shirt that Drew Robinson wears. If you've read his story at all, definitely go do it. Um, Gabe Kapler has worn this in interviews. Uh, Drew Robinson is a mental health awareness, basically coach for the San Francisco giants. And they started selling these shirts recently for this for people to buy. They started selling them in the pro shop uh, with the San Francisco Giants and they made them for sale for everybody, for for anybody that wants one. And I reached out and uh, if you went, I went to, I sent the email to gameused at sfgiants.com and asked to buy one. And it was $40 for the shirt for plus, you know, and that included shipping. And that $40 goes to Drew Robinson's foundation for mental health awareness and advocacy. So if you're looking to send money to a good cause for whatever, you know, or, you know, you know, someone needs this shirt, something like that. Um, you know, I, I would talk about all the time. Um, one of the quotes that I live by right now with my own mental health is uh, recovered loudly so that no one suffers quietly. And so that, you know, that I'm always there for people. It's, just an outward expression of I'm, you know, I may be not my best self whenever, but you're not alone. You, you may not be your best self, but you're not alone. So it, it kind of goes along that. So strength isn't always physical. Being strong is, you know, between the ears as well. So I hope that, you know, you guys maybe see the shirt and you buy one. If you And if you do, please reach out to me. Um, we'll find a way to, I'll talk to Tuck and BJ. Maybe we'll get you some KCSN merch. Uh, if you buy this shirt, send me a DM and uh, we'll figure it out but I wanted to wear this on the podcast for that reason tonight. 
Marcus, thank you again so much for coming on. Be sure to subscribe to their podcast, Royals Weekly. Uh, it's a really good show. I've listened to it a few times. It's a lot of fun. Uh, and follow any Royals content that's out there. So uh, thank you so much. Absolutely. It. We will talk to you guys next week. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.